Well, good morning, Browncroft. It's great to be with you this morning as we close out our series, Words to Live By. This series has been all about taking the writings of the Apostle Paul and seeing how we can apply them and let them influence our lives as Christians. And we've had an amazing team of speakers. If you've missed a Sunday, make sure that you go back on our website or on YouTube. Make sure you check them out. But I'm excited this morning to close out this series with you. And this week is actually an exciting week for my family. Uh, This week, my wife and I celebrate our 11th anniversary of our ministry here at Browncroft. Thank you. And and some of you may not have been here. Some of you may not remember. um, But this is actually how it started. That was 11 years ago. Look at those babies. So cute. That baby in the middle is actually my 11-year-old son, Andrew, who was two months old when we moved here. And you can probably imagine that things have changed a little bit over the past decade plus because this is how it's going. In our house, we call this a puppy pile. A puppy pile can happen anywhere from our family room to our living room to like this is outside on our front lawn, which may explain why our neighbors don't talk to us too much. Here's a much nicer picture of my family. This picture is us a couple weeks ago at church at the park. It was a phenomenal chance to worship outside. That is my lovely and amazing wife, Marissa. We also just celebrated our 15-year wedding anniversary. That is my now 11-year-old son, Andrew, our son, Ethan, and our little Princess Brooklyn. And we love to spend time as parents with our children. But there's another thing that I actually love, and that is the game of baseball. I love the game of baseball. I have phenomenal memories of growing up watching baseball. I remember my dad taking us to games and watching on like a Sunday afternoon or in an evening, my family sitting around watching baseball. I also loved to play baseball. I played throughout high school and even now play an old man's version of the game, which is known as church softball. And over the past few years, a new thing has arisen. And that is now I coach baseball. This is a picture of Ethan and myself earlier this season at Penfield Little League. And I love coaching baseball because it allows an opportunity for me to bond with my child. But it also is the opportunity for me to be in our community to get to know kids, to get to know families in ways that I probably would have never had the opportunity for. So I love the game of baseball. And earlier this season, my son was over playing at a neighbor's house when my son came home and talked about the neighbor, a little little kid, got hit in the face with a baseball. And in his own eight-year-old way, was telling me all the gory details, that his face was mangled, and that he was all black and blue and bloody, and his face didn't look right. And then in the midst of this, he stops and says, Dad, 
Can we pray for him? You ever have those moments where you feel like you're winning? This was one of them. What I felt like doing in this moment was standing up, praising God, hugging my kids, kissing my wife, and taking everybody out to pizza. But what I actually did was leaned in. Yes, son, let's pray for him. And so we did. We prayed for this neighbor kid for the, every night for the next two weeks until I asked, how's your friend doing? He says, oh, he looks normal. <laughs> and so we gave thanks and moved on. Moms and dads, parents and grandparents, teach your kids to pray. Teach your kids to pray. Teach them to share their heart with God. Teach them to pray when they are uncertain or in times of need. Teach them to share their desires with God. Teach them to pray. Because there will be times when they don't want to talk to you. There will be times when they don't need to talk to you. There will be times when you aren't around. So teach them to pray when they're young. Teach them to have a conversation with God that God wants to hear their voice and tell them that they are loved. But in order to teach, we also need to do, we need to model prayer. And in the same situation, I was also a bit convicted because I know all the things that I probably should be praying for but haven't. And you might find yourself in that same situation or there's the things that you should be praying for but haven't found the time or even are thinking about why should I pray or maybe you have prayed for something for a season but without an answer and have given up prayer. I know there's times I have. Which is why Paul writes in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. To understand the weight of this passage, it's helpful to go back and look about, about Paul and this church at Philippi. In the latter half of Paul's missionary career, he spends much of his time in prison. And actually one of the most famous passages about Paul in Philippi is when Paul and his buddy Silas are in prison and they're teaching and they're worshiping and they're giving praise to God when there's an earthquake and the jail cells open up and no one leaves. And in this moment, we find a prison guard who is on the brink of suicide who comes to later experience, and him and his family experience the hope of Jesus Christ. Friends, that is the hope and the promise and the work of the gospel. So when I read Philippians, I think about this family in the congregation and maybe his friends with real people, with real jobs, with real families, with real stress, real financial problems, real relationship issues, but also a people who have experienced the powerful and transformative work of the gospel in their lives. And now in a Roman jail cell, Paul writes, 
writes to this church. And this entire letter is covered with thanksgiving and joy. And as he writes, he writes, give thanks, rejoice even. Don't have worry, but instead pray and ask and plead for the Lord to intervene. God is near. Paul writes this because he knows that God listens. God listens. And that might be all you need to hear this morning, that God listens to me. God listens to you. God cares. God listens. He hears. He responds. Prayer activates the heart of God. And now the background here is important because in this command, do not be anxious about everything. He's not living some high prosperity life. He's in prison again. Paul is issuing this command to pray when he is not in control of his own physical destiny. Yet he writes, do not be anxious But plea, pray to God with thanksgiving. Pray, present your request to God, but instead pray, activate the heart of God. Not that it ever stops. But as an 18th century theologian wrote, God does nothing but by prayer and everything with it. God does everything. God works through the prayers of Of his people, from Abraham to Joseph to Moses to David to the prophets to Jesus to Paul to you to me. Prayer turns our hearts to him and his heart toward us. God desires to hear from you in all circumstances the good, the bad, the extraordinary, and the ordinary. Prayer aligns our heart with God. Prayer through prayer, God changes your heart and your mind. Change is one of those words that makes all of us uncomfortable. Change is one of the hardest things that we have to do. Yet change is also something that we are always in the midst of. And so there's a primary philosophy about how to change, and that's replacement. We do this with dieting. With exercise, we replace one thing with hopefully something better. We see this in our own way that we experience time, how we change the way we use time in our own spiritual walk even. And God uses the same philosophy of replacement. And through prayer, in prayer, God can replace your anxiety with peace. God can replace your fear with trust. God can replace your disappointment with understanding in thanksgiving. And in this exchange, God doesn't just take away. God doesn't just take away. But instead, by prayer and through his spirit, God removes and God fills. God removes and God fills. God never leaves something empty, broken, or undone. We see this in the Bible as God stares out in creation and says, okay, there's nothing, let's fill it. And so he creates stars in the earth 
and animals and creates man and sees the need and says, let's fill it and creates woman. We see it later on where the Israelites create a tabernacle and God says, I'm going to fill it. We see empty fishing nets on the side of a boat and God says, I'm going to fill it. We see 5,000 hungry people on a hillside and God says, I'm going to fill it. God sees the emptiness and brokenness inside of your heart and says, I want to fill it. Through prayer, the fear in our hearts is flushed and replaced and guarded with the peace of God. So what do you need to take to God this morning? What do you need him to replace with his peace? What do you need him to fill? Paul later writes that as we pray, we are awakened to have eyes of faith, to see what God sees, to experience what God values. Another pastor once wrote, prayer is like waking up from a dream to reality. We laugh at what we took so seriously inside the dream. We realize that all is truly well. Or prayer can have the opposite effect. It can puncture the illusion and show us that we are in more spiritual danger than we ever thought. Prayer can open our eyes to see what God sees. Have you ever been in a conversation where going into the conversation, you had one idea, but through an hour or maybe even an evening, you begin to see that same idea a little bit differently, or you begin to see a new facet, or you might have even had a complete 180 and see things completely differently. If you have never had that happen, you need to talk to different people, or you need to listen differently. Prayer is seeking to listen differently. Prayer is the open admission that without Christ, we can do nothing. And prayer is turning away from ourselves and to God in the confidence that he will provide the help that we truly need. And this is important because as much as I hate to admit it, you can't control everything. I want us to say this together. Ready? I can't control everything. When why would we want to? It sounds like an awful idea for a human. We are bad at lots of things. We are selfish. We have limited memory and limited foresight. But yet how often do we try? We cling to things and when we can't control them, it drives us crazy. It's actually a really bad idea. There are things personally that we are supposed to have discipline with, but control, especially in our relationships. So if you find yourself grasping, grappling, clinging to control, I'll give you a little hint at what the Bible says to do here. Pray. Because prayer helps us understand our limits. There are things that we can't and we shouldn't control. Oftentimes, fear and anxiety comes upon us when we feel like we've lost control. Or there's an aspect of our life or maybe someone else's life that we wish we could control, but we can't. And it's exactly in this experience that Paul issues this command to pray, to plead to God. 
Through prayer, God aligns our hearts and our minds to be ready to give thanks in all circumstances, to be ready to come, to share with God, to listen to God and be shaped by him. Now, growing up as a pastor's kid, we lived across the street from a church, across the parking lot. Literally, there was the church, a parking lot, a field, and my house. And when I was a boy, I remembered starting to come to grips with not being in control, yet seeing immense need. I remember uh, growing up, and I saw from a young age that people were hurting, hurting, that there was an immense need, that there was this massive brokenness, that things in this world just weren't right. In the summer when I was 10, my best friend was coming back from vacation when he and his family were in a horrific car accident. And I remember my family sitting me down and telling me that he was in rough shape and may not make it. And I remember praying. And I remember praying. And then the next day, waking up, and through multiple surgeries, my friend was stable, but that his mom had died. And I remember this being one of the first times crying out to God because I didn't know what was going on. I had little to no influence on this situation, yet it impacted me. And it impacted my friend. I remember not going to the funeral as my friend was in a hospital hours away, but watching through my bathroom window, cars pull up to the church, and watching, and watching cars leave, feeling helpless. And over the next weeks and months, I was reminded that there is a spiritual battle being waged every day. And through hospital and home visits, my parents walked with me and showed me how to care, how to pray, that God listens and cares for us in the midst of struggles and there's a lot of things that I don't understand. There's a lot of things that I'm not supposed to control. But somehow I knew that God was over it all. And that God overcomes it all. And in this time, I learned about the power of verse 6. To come to God in faith. To pray in all circumstances. And that he hears and that he cares for you. This alignment of the heart and mind with Christ is how Paul can sit in prison, to sit in chains and write about being surrendered and write about being a slave for Christ. He says, church, it's for your sake that I'm here. I'm good. This prison thing, it ain't fun. And I can kind of see where this is going. But as long as I have breath in my lungs, I'm going to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, good news of the gospel, because I know my identity is in him and my residence is in heaven. Church, that is peace that transcends understanding because it doesn't match what I see. It doesn't match my circumstance. You might be thinking about how you live and see trials differently as we live in them. Prayer aligns our hearts to God. And as we align our hearts to God, 
there is a beautiful promise. And that promise is found in the next verse. The next verse starts with the word and, which means I'm not done. Which means I'm going to continue my thought that there is more to this. And in verse 7 is where Paul issues this promise. Verse 6, remember, starts out, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And, and, and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's in the end that we learn that through prayer, the peace of God protects. Through prayer, the peace of God protects. Oftentimes we think of God or we think of peace as a calmness, doing yoga on a beach, We think of some picturesque mountain or a valley with a lake. Or we might even think of taking a walk by the ocean with loved ones. When in actuality, we could be in one of these situations and be experiencing something like this picture right here. This is a family walk by the ocean. And as we experience the force of the ocean, as we experience the force of the wind, my poor kid, my poor kid, you can be in what on the outside appears to be one of the calmest situations and not be anywhere close to peace. And in reverse, through God's peace that surpasses understanding, You can step into one of the toughest situations and have total peace. Peace and calm are not the same thing. God doesn't promise that bad things won't happen. Life is not the glassy sea. Life in Christ is often the hurricane. Have you read the Bible? Never calm. The disciples wouldn't be able to cross a finger lake with a monsoon coming in. God doesn't promise you calm. He promises protection. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard, will protect your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The result of prayer, the result of a surrendered life is that the peace of God will guard your heart and guard your mind. The peace promised here is not an absence of conflict. It's protection in conflict. It's a sustained, total well-being that only comes in Christ Jesus. The promise in this verse isn't the end of all anxiety. It isn't the end of all fear. The promise is that God will guard your heart and your mind with his peace. God's peace coming in to dwell. Because the peace that we are truly searching for is not found in a circumstance. The peace is found in surrender to God. And through surrender to God, through prayer, there can be peace in suffering, peace in trial, peace that surpasses understanding. Now, you might be thinking about, we've been talking about prayer, but we haven't yet talked about how God answers prayer. Those of you who have kids 
know when your kids want something because they haven't talked to you all week, maybe all weekend, and all of a sudden, they're paying attention to you. And soon you find out that there's this new video game or they want a puppy or they need to borrow the keys or need 20 bucks. Or you might have that friend who only comes around and you know that when he needs to borrow 50 bucks and you don't see him again until the next month when he needs to bum 50 bucks again. Let me give you a hint here. Don't be that guy. No one likes that guy. God does answer prayer. And when he does, it's amazing. It's unbelievable. But prayer isn't about the answer. Prayer isn't even about the promise. It's about the relationship. Paul writes to pray in all circumstances because God cares for you and desires to listen and respond. Because prayer is not about getting an answer that we want. It's about the relationship that we need. I'm going to say that again. Prayer is not about getting the answer we want. Prayer is about the relationship that we need. We saw this as a congregation as we studied the life of Abraham, that he got so caught up in the answer. He got so caught up in the promise that he forgot the promise keeper. We, we saw as Abraham forgot that God desired relationship, desired surrender, and instead he controlled things. Time and time again, he made his own way. He controlled things and things got really screwed up until they broke and God brought him back. Another pastor wrote that when we pray, we have to pray with our eyes on God and not on our difficulties. Prayer might not give you the circumstantial calm that you think you're looking for, but through prayer, God protects. And as we surrender to God, we are being transformed to seeing and to experiencing the heart of God. And as we experience the heart of God, we see that God celebrates that there is joy in the heart of God and that God grieves. I talked about my kids at the beginning of our time and I actually try to limit my nights out because I want to pray with my kids every night because they are learning that I am finite. Because I need to teach them that I am finite, but there is one who is infinite. That there are things in their lives there are things in my own life that I don't know, that I can't control. And even as I wrestle with that, I know I need to teach my kids that I am not all-knowing, that I am not all-powerful, that I have limits. Because in my weakness, I am strong. Because God is good and faithful. And as we seek to trust in the Lord, he offers us his peace that protects our hearts, and our minds. A week and a half ago, I had to sit down with my oldest son and tell him that one of his favorite teachers, a teacher that he loved, had died unexpectedly. And I didn't really have any answers. I didn't control the situation. I had little to no influence of what was going on, yet it impacted me and it impacted my son. 
And so we cried. And in this moment, in his own way, I could see my son looking through that bathroom window, feeling helpless. And so we prayed because we know God listens. And in this time, there were two prayers. One that we prayed together, and I prayed out loud. And we cried out in sadness for comfort, for strength, for understanding, for trust. And another I prayed and quieted over him. That in the midst of my son's grief, that God would protect my son's heart and my son's mind. I'm not supposed to be in control. And there are things that I will never comprehend. There are things that you are not supposed to control. And there are things that you will never comprehend. You are finite. You have limits. It's not an excuse. It's a fact. It's time to let it go. It's time to let it go. It's time to let go and rely on the infinite. It's time to let go and trust in the Lord, to trust in the peace and protection of God that's found in surrender. The God of the Bible is the same God that we call to today, the same God who made the manna, who parted the Red Sea, who shook Paul's jail cell, is the same God that we call on when we pray. And God listens. And so we pray. And as you surrender through prayer, his peace protects your heart and your mind. So what do you need to pray about this morning? What do you need to bring to God? Is there an area that you're clinging to control or that you're grasping for that you wish you were in control, that you need to surrender? Is there something that you need God, to remove and fill? What have you stopped praying for, maybe have never prayed for, that you need to right now? What's your circumstance that you desperately need God's peace and his protection? So right now, no matter your situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will protect your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're going to spend some time right now. I'm going to pray over us as a church first. And then we're going to allow some space just to bring your request to God. To plea, to ask, to petition the Lord to move. And then we're going to respond together as a church. Let's pray together. Lord, there are so many things and so many times that I've tried to do things my own way. I've tried to control. And I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm exhausted. I'm broken. Lord, I desire to let go but don't want to. Lord, I let go 
I let go of the things that I'm clinging on to in my life, the things that I have not allowed you to touch, the things that I need your peace and protection, but have guarded them to myself. And so, Lord, we trust in you. And Lord, as we desire to live surrendered, we know that you do not promise a circumstantial calm in our life. But you offer us something much greater. A peace and protection. A peace that surpasses understanding, a protection of our heart and our mind. So Lord, lead us. Lord, if there's something in our lives that we need you to remove, we ask that you would remove it and fill it with your peace. Remove the hurt, remove the brokenness. And Lord, we ask that you would fill it. Lord, we come to know now, knowing that you listen, that you care respond. So Lord, hear our cries this morning. Let's take some time right now. Let's pray together in your seat.